Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlo-Sita, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. And introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder. She has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Product Boss Podcast. I'm Mina, your host, and today I have a very special guest. Jacqueline is missing. And so I invited my friend Kevin on, Kevin Sanderson, that I met at Seller Summit. And he has a really um, interesting product. They're gift items in the kitchen category. And I Mm -hmm. thought that it could be interesting to hear his strategy. So Kevin, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how your entrepreneurial journey began? Oh gosh, so where do I begin? So, um, well, first off, thank you for having me, Mina. Of course. Um, yes, we had a good time over there at Seller Summit. Uh, so my entrepreneurial journey began, um, I, I guess maybe when I was a little kid, I was going around to houses trying to sell lemonade. Uh, door-to-door model didn't really work. Um, <laughs> that was a long-term strategy. But then, you know, I got to, out of college and I decided, you know, I was going to go the corporate route, worked for a couple of Fortune 500 companies. Um, and I was just deciding that, you know what, I, I had this burn inside to do something different than just, you know, working the nine to five. I still have a nine to five job, but I have my, um, I guess, five to nine job on top of it. And I, I, I kept thinking to myself, like, what is it that I, I can do? And I remember, I want to say this was like 2004, and I bought a couple of Nike Forwoods on eBay, which I guess at the time would have been like arbitrage, but no one used the word arbitrage, or who, who knows? I, you didn't have as good of forums and ways to research how to do stuff as you do now. And my, my thought was, okay, if I could buy these for like, let's say $40, then I could sell it for like 300 based on going to nike.com and seeing the manufacturer's suggested retail price. The problem with that is that's the manufacturer's suggested retail price, not the actual price. So they just kind of sat on my shelf. In fact, I still have them in the garage. One's in a bag <laughs> collecting dust and the other one actually still has the dust cover on top of it. So fast forwarding a few years from there, um, tried a couple different things and I, I was working for a, a hotel company and we got bought out by a bigger hotel company and my level in the organization didn't exist. And as there was going to be pressure at the company to cut costs, um, my position was a uh, casualty, if you will, of, of that merger. And they ended up letting me go and it was a blessing in disguise. So I now work full-time in the insurance business, but it just really had me thinking more than anything, having all my eggs in the basket of a job is kind of dangerous because the job can be taken away at any time. You could be doing a good job and your boss thinks highly of you or whatever the case is, but then all of a sudden someone else comes in, buys it and they have different expectations. Now all of a sudden they're, they're holding the cards and they're deciding things. So 
I decided I needed to do something. So, you know, it, it took me a little while to get up and running, but eventually in about 2015, so about three years ago, I started dabbling in retail arbitrage on Amazon, like actual, like taking, like not just guessing like I did with eBay and then never did anything. Um, I was actually taking the scanner from the Amazon app around at Walgreens and I was scanning stuff and seeing what could sell. And I remember um, I got a, a bunch of stuff that was like clearance for like summer stuff that was going out to bring in like the back to school items. And I ended up selling the first day it got into the warehouse, one of those little like blue things you put in your freezer that helps keep your, your, um, your drinks cold. Um, uh, like an ice pack, I guess. It would yeah. Be. And I just remember looking at the, the app on my phone and like, you know, every time I looked at it, it said zero, like sales. And I remember refreshing it and all of a sudden it said one. And I probably made like 50 cents, but it didn't matter. <laughs> it was this rush of adrenaline, like, oh my God, this is real. And I think more than anything, my problem before was I never had anything that was making it real to do these kind of entrepreneurial things. And um, it was becoming real selling physical products. And like I'd actually made around that same time um, a sale doing something kind of more affiliate related to something in the insurance business, but it wasn't the same because like with products, you can touch them, you can hold them. It just feels more real to me. And then actually seeing the sale was like, oh my gosh, this, this actually can happen here. So then I started figuring out, okay, what do I need to do to start my own brand? And I went into basically the mode of how do I fund it? And I am a high school football ref in the falls or in the fall. And the fall was coming up. And so I took basically all my earnings from doing a season of a high school football ref, put that into my first product and started getting some traction there. You know, it's like anything, you know, you learn along the way and started investing some more money into the business and keep reinvesting and letting that snowball grow. And now I've got um, a business that's mostly on Amazon and the U S Canada, um, and then the five European marketplaces that they have, which is the UK, Germany, France, Italy, and Spain. And then hopefully here in the next few weeks, we're all out in Japan. And then dabble in some of the other marketplaces and also have my own store. Although I would say probably 95 to 99% of my sales are on Amazon. Yeah. So those are the marketplaces for Amazon marketplaces, right? The oh, international yes. ones. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember being in the beginning stages and hitting that refresh button like a million oh, yeah. times in a row. Refresh, refresh. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? <laughs> I, I know. I totally relate to that. But I love that story. And it is so true that a lot of times it just takes an initial sale and then reinvesting. I think mm -hmm. that if you have enough grit to kind of get through that initial you know, lapse of no sales in the very beginning and you get to that one sale and you're like, woohoo, now I just yes. have to reinvest. It's a little bit scary, especially, you know, I, I also love physical products. It's mm -hmm. nice that you can hold them, but man, oh man, is it scary when you have them stacked in your bedroom, you know, and you're like, yes. I'm just going to sell. Yes, yes, <laughs> um, yes. I, I can relate. I was actually listening to one of your recent episodes and you were, uh, you and Jacqueline were talking about having boxes all over the house and people, <laughs> um, 
kind of feeling like a sense of like, oh, there's other people that are like that. I was like, oh yeah, there's other people that are like that. Cause like you walk into my house and it's like, welcome to the warehouse. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, Kevin, you are the first guy that we have on our podcast. So congratulations. Oh, wow. Welcome. Well, and so <laughs> I think it lends to, it's cool to see that, you know, it's not just other women that have all these boxes around their house, but men too. And you kind of mm -hmm. have to, um, you know, balance it out. So I was wondering, since you have a giftable item, does your strategy change throughout the year? And does your strategy change throughout the year for your home life too? I know for my mm -hmm. home life, sometimes that shifts as well. Can you kind of um, let us know what your life is like over there in Florida? <laughs> yes. Yes. So that's the interesting thing is um, my busy season for um, e-commerce is fourth quarter. In fact, last year, I want to say it was pretty close to, um, if you took my sales in November and December, it was equal to the rest of the year. Now, granted, I was adding more products, so uh -huh. it's not exactly apples to apples, but still, um, it's definitely skewed towards, um, the holiday season. And, you know, the unfortunate part for me is, you know, I also have football season. I also have, um, the fact that at work, that's our busy season where I work, we make most of our money in that time period too. So it's a lot of stuff going on. So yes, yeah, so lots of boxes going in and out of the house. So typically what I do is um, I've got someone that helps me prep some of the items and, and then I, you know, set up the shipments and send them out to Amazon. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot of, in and out of boxes. Thankfully, there's a lot more boxes coming in, but there's also a lot of boxes going out. So it's not building up like it does during the summer because I'm ordering stuff, but it doesn't move as fast. <laughs> so so what about summer sales for Prime Day? Do you get any traction during Prime Day? The last two years, not really, but I haven't really done much with Prime. Um, I, yeah, I guess that's a good question. Like, is there something I probably could do with Prime? potentially, but my stuff hasn't really lent itself well to prime. I think people are looking for deals mm -hmm. and I just haven't been aggressive on pushing a deal, but I still get the residual traffic compared to like, you know, two weeks before, two weeks after. Yeah. So during the holidays, do you add like additional discounts and things like that? Or is it just the fact that it's um, of that season? I actually usually raise my price at the holidays. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So one thing I notice is like, the cost of advertising might go up a little bit mm -hmm. like on a per click basis, but it's usually not too bad. And there's usually enough inventory of clicks and things of that nature to, to cover the cost and to, you know, get me sales. Cause I think a lot of people, they just don't know what to buy. So if they find something like, Oh, that's interesting. They just buy it. Yeah. So, they're in that buying mode for sure. Exactly. Exactly. So I, being a, a giftable type item, um, I try to prepare somewhat for having um, in my product sponsored ads campaigns, I try to start putting in more keywords that are like gift for, like gift for brother, gift for sister, gift for boss, gift for coworker, um, white elephant, um, Yankee swap, you know, all the different variations of reasons people might give someone a gift around the holidays. And I find that like, if I just put all those out there, oh, another thing is gifts under 
and then just start putting in increments of five dollars. Oh, so, super you know, smart. Yeah. So if the product, let's say, is twenty dollars, gifts under twenty, gifts under twenty-five, gifts under thirty, gifts under forty. Like at the end of the day, if it's still meeting their criteria, they're going to hit it. In fact, if it was like I was selling it for twenty-two dollars, I might still even go after gifts under twenty because people can still decide whether or not they want to buy it. Yeah. And for our listeners that aren't on Amazon, this can be mm -hmm. done on Google. This can be done on Pinterest, even those long tail keywords of gifts mm -hmm. under, it could be a blog post that they, you know, push out there. So oh, those absolutely. are some ideas for sure that, you know, they can even probably do a roundup with other bloggers, you mm -hmm. know, that everybody's ideas and say, now move on to the next blogger who has her ideas for the, you know, top, 10 under $5 or something, you know, so that would be a way that they could do it outside of Amazon even. Mm -hmm. So do Absolutely. you do anything outside of Amazon as far as like pushing external traffic? Uh, it's the only time of year I've had success doing like uh, the Google shopping ads because typically I'm just burning money. <laughs> um, <laughs> Aren't we all at Facebook ads? Money. Down oh the yeah, day. exactly. <laughs> I dabble in Facebook ads a little bit this year, but I just, between being busy with the full-time job and then, you know, the extra demands of, you know, lots of stuff coming in and out of the house, um, I haven't focused too much on um, Facebook, but yeah, there's, there's lots of different opportunities around the holidays because people yeah. are buying. In fact, I would say even on my website, like probably 95% of the sales I make on my own website happen at the holidays like people are just more likely to buy whether it's through amazon or on the website or whatever um i think they, they just buy more you from facebook ads or they find you organically from your amazon listings maybe it's a good question um probably maybe some of it is the google shopping ads i run um mm. and i think some of it is just people might be looking for the types of products i'm selling so they're more likely to just organically find it maybe through long tail keywords that I'm not even really trying all that hard for. They're not looking for that the rest of the year, but they are around the holidays. And so I end up uh, getting some sales that way too. Oh, and then eBay too. You know, I get more sales off of eBay than I do the rest of the year as well. That's cool. Um, so during the Christmas season and everything, there's some, I think a great idea though, I haven't tried this. I thought maybe mm -hmm. that you might've, is that um, people release like limited edition stuff, right? They mm -hmm. do just for the holidays, we're coming out with this. Do you ever do any of that kind of stuff? And do you find that it's successful? Yes. Like a bundle, you know, sometimes they're bundles. <laughs> yeah, so I've got some products that um, would lend themselves to putting designs on. And mm -hmm. so I put like a Christmas design where it's basically, let's say the same product as product A, but I make it product B for the holidays and sell both A and B, so to speak. But B has like a Christmas tree and says Merry Christmas. Uh-huh, great. So the supplier is willing to make that modification for me and that moves because people are looking for Christmas related stuff too. Yeah. Um, so I totally forgot that you had a full-time job, which yes. I remember saying that, asking you if you had an exit strategy. Um, a lot of our listeners are women that are super high achieving and they end up retiring mm. their husbands to either help mm. them in the business or, you know, um, I don't know, retire and do something else that they want to do. So what about you? Do you have intentions of retiring your wife and is, would she want to be part <laughs> of the business? Uh, my, my wife actually is a, a full-time stay-at-home mom and then she's got um, actually a part-time job that she um, has 
and uh, she dabbles, not, I wouldn't use the word dabble, she also has a, a, a direct selling business. Uh, but for the most part, she's happy doing what she's doing. And, you know, I, I, I'm happy with my job. I work with good friends of mine um, that I knew even before I started working there. And I would say for me, the good thing is because I work in insurance, I just kind of now gotten that mindset of it's protecting risk. So, you know, that going back to that risk of having a full-time job, all the eggs are in the basket. So, you know, my, my income with the job has been, you know, the last few years, about 90% of our income as a, as a household. And, you know, if God forbid, all of a sudden something happened and they had to close down, which I don't see happening, but you know, you never know in this world, like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the CEO of the company decides that that I was working at before that they wanted to, you know, spin off the company. We were all going to now work for another organization that had, uh, you know, different goals and organizational structure. You never know that could happen. You know, I didn't think it was going to happen to me necessarily. And, you know, it did. So for me, it's less about the exit strategy and more just about like, okay, how can I have more options? So if I did get to a point where, okay, it's, you know, I wanted to leave the job, I could do it. Or if I'm working, I'm working because I like the job, not necessarily because I, I have to. I think, you know, in some ways we all have a job when we feel like we're doing it because we have to, but imagine if you're doing your job only because you like it. And if, you know, the place closed down, you'd be like, eh, that's fine. I've got plenty of stuff that'll cover my bills. Yeah. Alleviates a lot of the pressure. Exactly. You know, that's fantastic that you have a job that you like too and friends that you're actually working with. Mm -hmm. Um, But it puts you in a a kind of a bind for time. And so (laughs) can you share about, um, you just hired a VA. What, what does she do? How did you hire her? And, um, you know, this is for your five to nine job, right? So basically you're (laughs) hiring that VA to alleviate some of that time pressure that you have from being full-time as well. Yes. So, um, I actually negotiated with them for at least the summer working four days a week instead of five. So I just dropped my salary by 20%. And then I've been working a lot on, to your point, um, getting a, my VA up to speed. So um, there's a, a website called onlinejobs.ph where you basically you put up a, a job and people apply for it. In the now, Philippines. Oh, yes. Sorry. <laughs> yes, that's what the PH part is. So yeah. So, the, the nice part about the Philippines is everything I had read and heard is like, uh, I want to say it's the third largest population in the world of native English speakers. Yeah, their uh, education brings in English. So they're mm-hmm. very heavy into teaching English, you know, um, extended education like college and stuff is all English. Right. So I think that that really helps because then it builds in that culture of English speaking and they already know it from like when they're little. Right, exactly. So it, they, they kind of already have a, a Western mindset, so to speak. Like I think, you know, cause they were part of Spain for a long time and, you know, for a while after the Spanish American war, um, it was part of the U S. So I, I think a lot of kind of Western thought is already ingrained in them. Um, and they're hard workers. They're very, they're known to be very loyal. Um, so for them, you know, you could pay them less than what they'd make here. And sometimes it feels kind of weird. Like, okay, I'm offering this person less than they would, you know, I'd be paying someone here in the U S but then 
like I was noticing on onlinejobs.ph, like everybody was asking for less than what I was paying. So I still paid what I offered because I put it in the, the job description. Um, but then what ended up happening was I remember putting in the job description. Let's say it was like nine o'clock at night. So they're 12 hours ahead of us. So I woke up the next morning, which would have now been like basically the day just happened in the Philippines. I had like 130 applications. <laughs> because that is a mega salary, I bet, over there, whatever you posted. Yeah, it was like, uh, let's say $600. And, you know, that might, people might say, well, wow, that's not very much. Well, the cost of living is much less there than it is in the U.S. And like, I'm basically offering a, like a 50% increase off of what a lot of them were asking for. Um, and I was giving them whatever the national holidays were in the Philippines and all that fun stuff. Um, and they'd be working from home, you know, and, you know, in the process, I noticed a lot of people were talking about, you know, they were traveling 40 minutes to an hour each way to get to their job. So it was, it's a good opportunity for them. So what I ended up doing, cause I was just overwhelmed by like, oh my God, look at all these people I got to sort through and how do I get to know? So what I ended up doing was I said, okay, uh, I had heard that if you ask a bunch of questions, like that they must answer. It's a way of saying like, are they really vested into it? So what I did was I said, okay, I'm gonna close this job out. I'm just gonna hit the reset button, so to speak, and start scratch. So I put in the very top of the job description, like a bunch of asterisks and said, you must read this in its, um, this job posting and it's complete or in complete all tasks listed to be considered something to that effect. I wordsmithed it more than I just said there. <laughs> but um, what I then did was I had like towards the bottom, these are the questions you must answer to be considered. And number one was who is the second president of the United States? And then I put next to it, you are highly encouraged to research this if you're not sure because if i put first president of the united states that might be more common knowledge i don't know how common it was but um oh and i told them they had to put that in the subject so they had to start their subject with basically john adams mm -hmm. and so very quickly i could see who was applying if i didn't see john adams dash whatever or john adams you know excited to learn about you know this job or whatever they were saying I just deleted it because they didn't pay attention. And then I had some other questions. One of them was like, and I heard this somewhere was basically I sent them to um, a Myers-Briggs, um, which is a, a personality indicator. And I had them send me a link to what the results were. So like, you know, it takes them like 10 minutes to fill it out or something like that. And so one, I could see a little bit, you know, with their personality mesh with mine. Um, and also too, what I had heard was, and I found this to be the case, are they following directions? So if the direction was send me the link, not a screenshot, a link, did they send the link? Then they're following directions. Then I had a couple other questions like that. And then it drastically reduced the number of people I got <laughs> responses to. Um, cause there was a little bit more skin in the game they had to put, so to speak with their time. And, you know, I think one of the questions was, why did they want the job? And then, oh, another question I asked in that first one was, tell me about a time where you didn't understand the expectations of what task you were asked to do and what did you do about it? All I was asking for was some 
some uh, version of, they asked me to do X, I didn't understand it, so I went back and said, can you please clarify this for me? That's all I really wanted. Because one of the things I've heard is a cultural thing in the Philippines is they're not very confrontational. And so there's a concern that like, sometimes if they don't understand what they're supposed to do, they'll just, you'll not hear from them. Yeah, they're, um, it's, it's, I think it's all Asian cultures, but you're taught never to ask questions. <laughs> like, don't right. ask questions ever. So if you're confused, you just do what you think or right. you ghost them. <laughs> right. So, and the ghosting seems to be the MO. And I've heard a lot of stories from people that have had um, virtual assistants or, you know, whatever the job is for somebody in the Philippines. And so, I was like, let's just see if that helps weed people out. Then at least I'm kind of subtly setting the expectation of like, are you going to ask me the question? And pretty much everyone answered it that way. And so then I started asking a few follow-up questions and I think I got down to like four where I basically said, here's a list of tasks. I will pay you $20 in PayPal if you complete these tasks. And it was mostly like, um, I had him do like a Google Sheets where, I mean, it was like some crazy tasks. Like I sent them a link to like the cities in the United States. And I said, take all the cities in the United States that are like in the top 500 or whatever that are in the state of Texas and then list them alphabetically. Holy moly. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like just random tasks like that or if I said it's this time in this city, what is it in these other cities? So can they research? Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, a couple other little, just can they do research? Can they take minimum amounts of direction? Um, and then, you know, basically could, could they complete tasks in either Excel or Google Sheets? And so, you know, like sorting and filtering and stuff like that. So since they were able to do that, okay, then I got down to the last couple and I ended up doing, I decided which one I was pretty confident in and I did a Skype interview with her, decided, okay, I'm going to go ahead and offer the job. And so now she works with me and we've been together, been together. Um, <laughs> we've, uh, we've been working together now for about six weeks. And how's it going? Is she um, up to your expectations, you think, so far? Yes. She's doing a good job. Now, the, the thing of it is, I went into it knowing, like, okay, this person doesn't know everything I know about the business, and it forces me to think of things for her to do, because now, all of a sudden, I'm paying someone a salary every month, and it's like, okay, I got to make sure that I'm at least getting the value I, I want out of it. Um. And so it forces me to say, okay, here's what are some processes. And so, you know, it's a lot of getting her to just learn about Amazon, learn about my products, learn about, you know, back-end things. So there's been a lot of cleanup work that I realized just because of that time crunch of having a job and doing this full time. It was just getting to a point where I was like, okay, I can only do so much. And little things were starting to fall, like not really – you know, optimizing keywords on Amazon or, um, you know, some of my listings probably need to be cleaned up a little bit. And so having someone now that I can say, okay, let's 
basically do an audit of everything, put it into a spreadsheet and then start looking through, okay, this needs to change, change this. And so now showing her how to do that. So now she knows how to, you know, create listings or, you know, we need to create a listing for this. That's not in France, but it is in the UK. So I have inventory. So might as well go and list it, you know, just little things like that. Um, it's been very beneficial. So. Yeah, I love I that. Say, I think that's really smart. The audit and cleanup of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many things, right? It, just like what yeah. you said, the having some listings in the U.S. and not having them in Canada, and then the right. You, know, you would think it's so easy just to copy and paste, but it is not. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's one of those things. Like it's it's simple because uh -huh. literally, it kind of is just copy and paste. But it's like anything in this when when you when you go from like, you know, starting out and like, you know, maybe you have like one product, it's like everything is easy because you can all relate it back to that one product, one marketplace. At least this was kind of my journey. But then as I started getting, you know, more products, more marketplaces, everything just becomes more complex. And so you got to create a system and then maintaining the system is time. And then it's like, you know, you got to have, um, every little, you know, go here, go there, copy this, paste that it's time consuming and you don't realize like, you know, even if a task only takes you five, 10 minutes, just adding them up over time. It's just, you need someone else to be hitting copy paste. <laughs> an actual human. Yeah. Um, but you know what I think is really smart is that you're doing this right now during the summertime. So when it's your busy season, hopefully you won't be in this learning curve of teaching her how to do these simple tasks. So I think that is really smart to hire sooner mm -hmm. than you think. And then also in advance, well in advance of your busy mm -hmm. season. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. And, you know, it's easy to think like, okay, oh, the holidays, it's like, you know, we're recording this at the end of June and, you know, you can think like, oh, four or five months from now is when it will start to pick up that'll be here like that, you know? So it's like starting to look at like inventory levels and the, all the, all the stuff that goes on. And like, for me, it's like not even just the holidays, but it's like everything right after. So it's like, you know, got to start reloading, so to speak. And one of the issues I ran into this year was I didn't reload fast enough with, you know, inventory and it shot me in the foot with a few of my, you know, better selling products because, you know, we have our new year, January 1st. It's usually early February that like, China shuts down. Yeah. Like they're gone Poor for good. a month. <laughs> like factory yes. workers, they're gone for five, six weeks in some cases, depending on the factory. Then it's like, from my understanding, it's not like, okay, on this day, everybody shows back up. It's like they pray that they all come back. <laughs> you know? And so they're kind of re getting into the groove, so to speak. And you know, all of a sudden it's like, okay, the factory's kind of getting that their own flywheel going and just getting started. So, you know, it, it just takes them a little while to get up and running. So an order that might have taken four weeks before, once they're right after um, Chinese New Year, and all of a sudden it takes like, you know, six weeks. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, I'm running out of product. I'm ordering it. And they're like, oh yeah, we will... Um, we have Chinese New Year. We're going to close in three weeks. We're not going to be able to get it done by then. And we'll pretty much take six weeks after Chinese New Year. So it was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Praying is right. Because yes, a lot of prayer. <laughs> it 
princess completely shut down and there's nothing that you can do, but a lot of new mm-hmm. sellers don't know about that time. And that's whether or not they're importing or manufacturing over there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I guess it's all manufacturing, but that amount of time for sure. Like right now, if you're, you plan to have inventory, at least into Amazon and you're importing from China, you better order it now. Like oh, yeah. you want it for the holidays. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You better get it in. Yeah. So, um, speaking of seller summit, we, I forgot to mention we were in the same mastermind too. Yes. Um, so let's chat a little bit about that. Like, were there some takeaways that you really loved or how, how did you feel about the event? Yeah. So it was really good. So, um, one of the, my big takeaways, which was, I'm a pretty analytical person, but I had no handle on my numbers. I was starting to realize, um, and so I remember in, we all kind of got our spot in the hot seat and um, our leader of the group was asking me actually right before we broke for lunch. Cause I was the last one before lunch. It was kind of like, well, you shouldn't be selling internationally. That's just a waste of time. Why are you doing it? And I didn't really have a good answer. And then it was like one of those things. I was like, I actually woke up at like two in the morning like that. It was haunting me. you. <laughs> yeah. It was totally haunting me. Like, wait, I need I feel like it's a good thing, but like, I didn't have like that. Okay. Here's why I do it. So, um, what I ended up doing was basically creating where every week I go in and I put in like some basic numbers on my Amazon per marketplace. Um, so I did it this morning for last week and I do it every Thursday cause it's Thursdays that I'm off right now. And I put in for the previous week, like the sales, um, you know, how many impressions I had on Amazon to basically figure out my, you know, uh, my conversion rates, you know, I've got my PPC spend. So how much I'm paying for ads, how much I'm making for sales based off of those ads of my total sales, what percentages and I'm doing that all that per marketplace. And also looking at a couple other markers. So this way I have a good handle on it. So then, I'm also putting in like the conversion rates that Amazon's using currently. And what that's helping me do is figure out, okay, so based on what I'm seeing in Amazon internationally, whatever I'm getting in the U S it's about 25 to 30% bump. So what I should have come back at was there was a minimum number to achieve, to be eligible for that mastermind group. Mm -hmm. Now, having a full-time job, and I am probably not haven't done it as long as a lot of people in that room had, I wouldn't have qualified if it wasn't for my international sales. Yeah. So what I, what I really realized is I need to have like a basic, not, yeah, I kind of feel like it or, you know, whatever, not just like, okay, figure out all the numbers, hand them to my account at the end of the year to do my taxes, but like more ongoing, have a better handle and not just like, okay, I kind of know based on like the margins for a product and how much it costs me to fulfill this is what will make me profitable and then kind of taking that as a bridge to how much money i have in my account and if i feel like there's a good separation (laughs) the time i have the time exactly (laughs) then it all kind of works but now Uh, i'm realizing like okay it's time to grow up and be a big boy business owner (laughs) and and have a better handle on it. So I think more than anything, that was really my takeaway. And I've really been working a lot on that. And that's a lot of the projects I've had my VA work on with me too. 
Yeah, I love that so much that you actually took a takeaway and that you built a system around it to be able to answer that better next time. I'll uh -huh. tell you why I do it. I actually sell in the UK and in Canada. Okay. I do it because um, I don't think your egg should be in any basket. Amazon yes. US, Amazon Canada, Amazon Germany, they're all mm -hmm. unlinked. So if my business went down the toilet in the US or my account got revoked or something, I would still have those international accounts. Uh, minus 15%. So of, you know, like of the sales that I make overall, 15% is international. That doesn't seem like a lot, but I have like three listings in those countries, you know? Right. And so it's, but the other thing too is there's a difference of margin because of the conversion mm -hmm. rates and all that stuff. Yes. So I have to be Especially aware of those. Europe. Yeah, what a pain, yeah. right? And the vat yes. and all that stuff. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> so um, even if you're not on Amazon, you should be, be diversifying for sure, even onto any platform and know what percentage that brings into your business. So if your main bulk of your income or your revenue is taken away, like Amazon is taken away, you still have Walmart, you have Jet, or you have you know flash deal sites. So mm -hmm. that way you aren't in Kevin's shoes and you don't survive the merger. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Maybe exactly. Kevin before. Like that's what it is. You're mm -hmm. basically not surviving your account being revoked for Amazon. And you mm -hmm. need to be able to survive that as, you know, a big brand, like a real mm -hmm. legit one. Right, exactly. And, you know, there's so many ways to diversify. And one of the things I noticed is there was a gentleman who is in our mastermind group and his story was he had a product, if I remember correctly, that was selling like a hundred a day. And it was a very generic product. It was like one that like, I think a bunch of people figured out very quickly um, that How they could sell. Off. Yeah, that they could <laughs> knock him off. And so all of a sudden he went from being like one of a handful of people that sold this to all of a sudden he's one of many. And mm -hmm. so he now has a collection of these products in his house, I think, yeah. that he can't sell. Yeah, that's really tough. I think that you have to have a unique selling point. If it's not your actual mm -hmm. product, it has to be some other sort of competitive advantage. Also listeners, that's a, that is an episode that Jack and I already recorded about com competitive right. advantage. Um, and it could be something like your brand, you know, or anything else that really lends to it really um, adding to your value for the customer right. that that people won't be able to knock off, I guess, as easily, you know, he mm -hmm. created a mold and everything and put money into it. And by the time yeah. he got back around to it, he had been knocked off by a bunch of sellers, but I, I, I believe in him. I think that he can, he can out, he can outsmart those sellers. Mm -hmm. Um, it would just take more reinvestment if he wants to do that or not. Yeah. And that's why I think like, if you can go wide with several products, you know, like, I probably have around 40 SKUs uh -huh. and, you know, doing that, you know, even if like, there's probably only a handful of like actual products itself. Like, mm -hmm. I guess you can say that a lot of them are in the same family and it's, it's helpful having a variety of stuff. So if that way, you know, one listing was suspended for whatever reason, it's not the end of the world. And that happened to me actually last year in the holidays where I have this one product. It was actually my very first product. So it had plenty of history. All of a sudden it got flagged as being um, potentially hazardous. Mm. There's nothing hazardous about it. There was never a concern brought by a, a customer. It was just some algorithm went through and said, 
started flagging things. And, and I remember hearing about this in somebody's podcast where there's a few people had this happen to, where all of a sudden you know, it gets flagged and then, you know, putting in a couple of travel tickets with Amazon and, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's fixed, but you know, it was out for a few days during yeah. the busy time of the year. Yeah. And it's like freak out mode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, ugh. good but luck like, getting a hold of Amazon, by the way. Right. Exactly. Because it's like the people that fix it are actually like in another team. So, yeah. You know, it's like you're, you're really dealing with the intermediary who's basically just sending an email to the person that handles it. Yeah. Hoping they translate correctly what you're trying to get across. Yeah. It definitely takes a little bit longer. I mean, that's the way of being on somebody else's platform. So mm -hmm. how, are you pushing external traffic to your own website? How is that going? Or are you focusing on that at all? That's one of my goals for once I have Amazon more cleaned up is to start doing more giveaways and things like that to start building a list mm -hmm. and hopefully selling to those people quite a bit during the holidays. And really kind of getting going, like maybe doing some free plus shipping offers, things like that is my, I guess you could say my vision. Um, but right now I'm focusing more on just getting cleaned up of stuff and having a better handle in the numbers so I can make intelligent decisions and not just, well, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if I, well, you wouldn't know because I barely told anybody, but I launched another brand, another product and it's charcoal soap. Oh, wow. Um, and so I have little labels, which is, you know, like it's in growth and it's in expansion mm -hmm. and everything. It's so easy, not easy, but it's more comfortable. Right. Right. And now that I'm back in startup for that particular product, like you would not believe the self doubt that I have. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I remember these feelings. Like I melting soap in my head has been haunting right. me, you know? So it's like <laughs> being in that startup stage, but it's definitely for sure that getting, everything cleaned up helps out a lot. And then, you know, and then you do feel like you're a little bit in startup when you're doing, you're shifting your focus, even if it is like shifting your focus to your own website or something, it definitely mm -hmm. comes easier in the, like the growth stage. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I can only imagine like kind of starting from scratch with like a different brand, you know, cause those, yeah, to your point, those doubts creep in, like, you know, even for me, like, you know, sometimes if I take an established, you know, kind of product line, and say, I'm going to roll out a new version of it. You're still like, oh, is this going to sell? Am I wasting my money? Am I wasting my time? You know, we, we get these fears every time we want to do something different. Yeah. And then you have, you know, like the Jordans in your garage to remind you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, Kevin. Well, I don't want to take too much of your time. So we usually end the podcast with some fun questions. I'm going to just do them off the top of my head because I forgot to pull them up. But sure. okay. So um, this is kind of like, um, what is that called? Fire? Like when you answer really quick, quick fire. Okay. Okay. I'll do my best. <laughs> okay. So what is your coffee order? Uh, venti iced coffee with vanilla with just a little bit of cream. And then sometimes a mocha frappuccino. Oh, wow. I see. That yes, is extravagant. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, do you have an alter ego? Oh, do I have an alter ego? Um, I, I guess it depends on if you ask my wife. <laughs> Kevin, the insurance man. Yes, um, Kevin, the insurance guy. Uh, what's your favorite thing on your desk? Um, my post-its. Your post-its. Okay. I have probably way too many of them, too dependent on them. 
<laughs> and last um, is what is the last show that you binge watched? Ooh, Shark Tank. Oh yeah, I could see that for sure. Yeah. Um, so I do want to leave off with like, um, I, I want to add this additional question because Jack and I have been kind of teasing each other about how much we've grown. You know, it's like that saying of, uh, we heard somebody say that entrepreneur years are like dog years. And mm. I totally believe that. Yes. So we've been calling each other like the old versions are still like baby Mina and baby Jacqueline. So this would be baby Kevin that didn't know anything about his international sales. Right. Right. So if you know, Kevin now could tell baby Kevin something or give him a piece of advice, what would it be? I would tell myself, um, don't get too wrapped up in foreign language marketplaces too quickly because like Canada and the UK, they're fairly simple. They speak the same language. Culturally, they're almost the same. Just stick with those until you really have a better handle on your numbers and everything else. Because then I probably wasted too much money on PPC and foreign language marketplaces. <laughs> like, I don't even know what these words mean. Or if you're, or the numbers, right? The numbers. Oh, right, right, right. So getting, and then having the time to go into the numbers. So yeah, I would say don't get too eager too quickly to go into the foreign language marketplaces after UK and Canada. Okay, great. So um, let us know, let our listeners know where they can find you. You have a YouTube channel, right? And if they, if there's any way they can reach out to you. Yes. So I have a, a YouTube channel. Uh, it's called Maximizing E-Commerce. So you just go to youtube.com forward slash Maximizing E-Commerce. And um, also have a website, MaximizingEcommerce.com. And, you know, one of the best ways to get in contact with me is just leave me a comment on one of the videos on the YouTube channel. Okay, great. Thanks so much, Kevin. And it was awesome. awesome having you here. Thank you. It's glad to be here. This episode was brought to you by our new mastermind program, Holiday to Halo. You get the guidance of both myself and Jacqueline as your coaches inside an amazing group of fellow product-based business owners. Starting in September, we'll be getting a head start and ramping up to make a big impact on sales for the Cyber Five, which is Thanksgiving through Cyber Monday. Then on to Christmas revenue strategy. And to boost your growth into the new year, we'll be setting your business up for Halo sales into Q1. We would love for you to join us. Go to theproductsboss.com slash mastermind for more information. Loved this episode of the Product Boss Podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We would so appreciate it.